filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions serving Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They handle employment issues including wrongful termination, wage disputes, discrimination, equal employment opportunity matters, and more. They also handle civil rights litigation, defamation, and general litigation. For a free consultation, visit EhrlichLawOffice.com slash filibuster. The Rapids just have the best socks in MLS. Can you, can you paint a picture for me? I don't know them off the top of my head. Okay, so they are thick burgundy and white hoops, essentially, are for they, their socks. Were they white hoops or were they that like really, really pale blue? That's, that's also a part of their badge. I thought they were the blue. I thought they were white like their shorts, but looking at a picture now, I think you're right that they are the the their sleeves and shorts are yeah, white. Those are white. They, they're like from the knees up, they're like a burgundy arsenal. Um where the, the sleeves are white and the shorts are white, but then the socks are burgundy and that that baby blue that they stole from Inver Nuggets. Um so yeah, they, they really are a combination of all of Stan Cranky's teams. Uh, except the the Rams. Does he have like I hope he has suits that are that color. He better. Yeah, and and I hope he goes to polyester prom wearing them. Because polyester prom is a good thing that really rich people should do, right? Right. Anyway, um, rapid socks. They look good. We need more hooped socks in MLS. It's really weird that the Rapids have like good looking uniforms and such. It is. Um, because they are the Colorado Rapids. They should have the like least interesting uniforms of everyone. Burlap, perhaps? <laughs> Beige burlap sacks as their... Uh, Just as their... 100% khaki. <laughs> I mean, they did go with that uh, caribou of Colorado throwback, not for on the field, but... Right, right. Photo which is kind of unfortunate, because that had that jersey had tassels. It did. Literally has Just tassels, tassels. On it. Not even sleeve tassels. <laughs> and, and not... For those of you with dirty minds, not the kind of chest tassels you would maybe expect from... No, no, it was a very innocent... Chest tassels. It was a very innocent uh, band of chest tassels. Yes. Uh, designed only only for someone who just really likes the idea of tassels coming off of stuff. Yeah, it's it's really naive, childlike tassels. Yeah. And before I dig myself into a hole here, hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. I'm Adam Taylor, joined as always by Jason Anderson and Ben Bromley. We are all from blackandredunited.com, where we write about DC United, the U.S. national teams, the Washington spirit. We have a new spirit writer. Go check her out on our site uh, and lots more uh, tonight. We are going to talk about DC United's scoreless draw in new England and their upcoming game against the Colorado Rapids. It'll be the home opener. So get your butt out to RFK to see it. And, and it just occurred to me that this given DC United's reputation earned over the last couple of years and given the Colorado Rapids uh, reputation and the scoreless draw in new England, this is not exactly going to be a, a high-powered show, but we think you should bear with us. And hopefully this next segment shows you why. Ben Bromley, what are you drinking? So, because of reasons, 
We had, uh, I, I have just finished my pregame drink, which wasn't supposed to be my uh, pre-show drink, <laughs> rather. Um, this is going to go very well. Uh, so I've cracked into <laughs> my beer, which is uh, Brothers Cra- uh, Three Brothers Craft Brewing Optimization. It's, it's warm out. I need a warm, uh, summery beer and an IPA is always a good call. All right. How, how hoppy is it? Is it overly hoppy? I know you have been a hop skeptic on this show in the past. Well, my hop skepticism only comes when hops are in beers that shouldn't be hoppy. Okay. I like a really hoppy IPA because I'm expecting hops and this is not, it's not punch you in the face level of hops, but it's a good hoppiness level. Okay. Uh, I am not drinking something with hops. Uh, my wife and I had a glass of red wine with dinner, and I decided to just keep rolling with the, that bottle of red wine. And so I am drinking uh, – it's from my buddy's wine shop up in Brookland. It's uh, Gran Passione Rosso. It's Italian red, and it's pretty tasty. It's 2014 uh, – yeah, I can't read the label because it's actually in Italian. Um, Ain't you fancy? Uh, yes, I'm so fancy. I can't read Italian. <laughs> Fan- fancy in the way that makes you illiterate at the same time. Exactly. I am. I am fancy like old school nobility, and that like really old school nobility, and that I drink and I just don't care what it is. Clearly, this is going really well. Jason, save us. <laughs> we're, off, we're off to a flying start. Uh, if the answer right. is Jason, save us from this drinking problem. Right, we, we, we're, we're already lost. <laughs> oh yeah, you guys, you guys don't even realize it uh, when you're saying it. But I'm like, no, you're done. Um, uh, one thing I wish I had, I'm going to go and, and take us straight straight into into the worst territory that we're already in. Um, a friend of mine has a friend that acquired a product called Buckfast uh, Tonic Wine a couple days ago. Oh, God. You were tweeting about this. Yes, uh, because when he told me, I went into like a virtual panic about how great this product sounds. Um, <laughs> you immediately – you you had never had this product and you were I suffering. I have never seen it in, I have never seen it in person. I've never been in the room with Buckfast that I know of. And um, yet you suffered from withdrawals. In in the heart. My heart uh, was heavy <laughs> for it. Um Buckfast uh, Tonic Wine is a wine made in England that is popular in Scotland. It's 30 proof, uh, I think. Uh, I believe that's correct. 30 proof, um, and it's caffeinated to the extent that it is actually... It has more caffeine than Red Bull on a, like, per gram weight uh, ratio. It's not quite as caffeinated as coffee, but it's close. And it comes in a full wine bottle. And you buy it for like $10, apparently. And this is the European uh, price if you're in Scotland. You buy, you pay like $10 for it. And because it's high-proof wine with caffeine in it, you can imagine what happens. Uh, people become lunatics. And apparently it's, it's, it's Wikipedia page uh, mentions that it is associated in Scotland with um, chav culture and stupidity. <laughs> the things it is associated with. Um, it, is, it is the most Scottish of drinks in that respect. Uh, but it's not Scottish is the funny thing. It's made in England, but it's popular in Scotland. Anyway, I do not have Buckfast as of yet. One day I will do it. I, we will have a show in which I am drinking Buckfast, and it will be the worst show we've ever done. Um, <laughs> I actually have a much fancier product. I have um, Hoig Brewery's Delirium Nocturnum. Oh, nice. Which is oh, uh, nice one of the best beers on the planet. Um, it's glorious. I, I like it better than the, their Tremens, 
I prefer this. Um, 8.5% uh, Belgian of, ale. Of Belgian goodness. Yeah, it's awesome. You're even drinking it in a fancy glass. It's the fanciest beer in the house, so I've got my snifter. <laughs> but I will say, it's an Ikea snifter. It was like a $2 snifter I bought on a whim at Ikea. So it's it looks fancy. It makes me look fancy, but it is not fancy. It's from Ikea. How can you not buy an Ikea snifter? The That is exactly why I have it. The I contradiction. It is, it is a contradiction in itself. It shouldn't exist. And yet it does. And that is glorious. I probably should have brought more than one. Yeah, you should. You have. only bought one? Yeah, it was an impulse buy that I didn't think through before or during <laughs> or after. I just was like, oh, I want that. And I grabbed it. And that was the end of my thought process. But Hashtag but, adult. But they're still cheap. You should have gotten two. This was, I've had this thing for like five years. You're, you're talking to a past Jason that was like just pure impulse. There's no like, oh, what if I, what if I had more? It was just like, I want, I, me, want a snifter. And Jason, you were, like, $2. you were 27 or 28 five years ago. It might be older than that. I don't even remember. I, I know I got it a while ago. And it's I know I've always been there. I didn't even have something that was good for using a snifter for at the time. I had, did not have the proper alcohols for snifter use. I just was like, I want a snifter. And there it is. Before before Jason was, <laughs> Ikea snifter has always been. It was waiting for me through the years. Yeah. I mean, it, it's like the first sentence of the Bible. Uh, in the beginning, there was snifter. That's how I remember it. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's right. DC United kept a clean sheet this weekend and earned a road point at Gillette Stadium, uh, ke- keeping a scoreless draw with the New England Revolution, uh, thanks in part to a last-second Kellen Rowe miss. It was, it was kind of a sitter, but Travis Wara got out to, to cut down the angle, and, and Kellen Rowe came in as a substitute and couldn't finish. And so the game ended without a goal. Uh this was despite DC United missing their two of their most important attackers in Fabiana Spindola and Patrick Niarco, as well as their top two goalkeepers. You heard me say Travis Wara. He started this game. This is his first start, and he has yet to give up a goal while wearing DC United colors. So uh, keep that streak alive, please, because help us, Travis Wara, you're our only hope uh, going forward. Uh, ben, listening to some other MLS podcasts and reading... Uh, on various MLS sites, basically, is that everybody is is pretending this game didn't happen, and I'm not sure they're wrong to just ignore this game. There wasn't a lot for neutrals to to take away from this one. Okay, <laughs> all right. It's been a good episode, guys. No, yeah. this, this isn't a podcast for neutrals. This is a podcast for us. Who cares what neutrals it, think? It's true. It's true. I mean, watching this game, I was I was also on toddler duty, so I was distracted. Um, and I was I, and I was watching on the uh, the new broadcast uh, partners uh, here in Richmond, and at least my quality was uh, quite standard definition. So it made watching the game an interesting experience. Um, yeah, there were there were some glitches, uh, not just beyond the the standard definition definition issue uh some markets couldn't get the game when they were supposed or where they were supposed to and and other things hopefully they get them ironed out and and hopefully uh news channel 8 can talk to direct tv and get an hd feed in there for bars and and customers with direct tv otherwise it there's going to be a lot of 
Fox Soccer Channel references for the rest of this year and next year and the year after that. Which is, uh, it puzzled me because there were people watching on News Channel 8 in ver- with various other providers that had the same kind of problem Ben's talking about. Uh, I got News Channel 8 with Fios in Anne Arundel County, and it was not one, it was not like perfect HD, but it was close to it. It was a lot closer to it than Fox Soccer Channel levels of video. So the better quality video is out there. I just don't know enough about this as to understand why I got it, but other people didn't. I think part of the issue is Fios is Fios carries basically everything in HD. If it's on Fios, it's probably pretty much in HD. Um, I think but, but the- some of the cable systems in DC carry news channel eight uh, in HD. And, and it depends on your cable channel. And unfortunately, if you have direct TV, you're just getting it in standard def. That's just a direct TV issue for, for news channel eight. Yeah, I th- I, I think they'll I think they'll be able to work at least a lot of that out. It's the first it's the first game. Yeah, I I think they'll fi- be able to figure it out. They've got what and two two or three weeks before the next game that's on that's not national. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, the Sinclair Broadcasting does some other team. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. they do work. They, they do RSL games, and RSL games are always available in pretty good quality. I've never seen any real issues from the RSL fans I follow. Um, so it's something that they know how to do there that it'll probably just take a little growing pains. I would expect. Yeah. Right. I mean, the, the games that are on WJLA ABC seven are going to be in HD that there's no question about that. I just think that direct TV is not likely to devote more bandwidth to news channel eight for, a, you know, 20 soccer games, not even 20 soccer games mm-hmm. in a year. They're, it's just not in direct TV's direct interest to do that. Sorry for the, direct direct thing um anyway back back to the soccer and i think the fact that we're talking about the tv broadcast is a testament to the way a lot of people saw this game uh ben what did you make of of the missing pieces and and replacements especially in the attack we saw fabi was gone too because you know congrats to him his wife just had a baby and he was off as ben olsen put it being a dad which right you know Humanity comes before soccer, uh, and rightfully so. So congratulations to, to Fabi on the birth of his child. Patrick Niarco was out uh, after, after, after suffering some concussion symptoms. He seems to be back in full training as of today, so that's good. Uh, he was replaced by Rob Vincent. So we had uh, Lamar Nagel and, and Vincent out there. What did you make of their performances in this one? Um, I thought they were okay. I think it was a lot more similar style as to what we saw last year. Uh, I, Rob Vincent kind of functioned in the in the role that Nick DeLeon has played over the last couple of years, being a more uh, defensive winger, playing, uh, doing a lot of more of the dirty work and not being able to show off his offensive prowess as much. Uh, Chris Rolfe wasn't able to create as much magic as we've been used to seeing from him over the past couple of years from the left. Uh, and Lucho Acosta is still getting used to MLS. He can definitely show some, uh, pretty maneuvers, uh, his, uh, 360 destruction, uh, was quite notable. And, uh, I mean, Nagel is a good player. He may be a better fit right now than Fabi is, but he doesn't, he isn't going to create as much magic as Fabi can, so... There's still a lot of things people the the team needs to figure out, but I was still somewhat encouraged by what I saw, even if it was a 
kind of uh, trek to get through. And and Jason Travis Wara came in to this one after uh, Andrew Dykstra was. It was reported he was suffering back spasm. It's, it turns out he has a herniated disc. Um, and we found out last night at uh, a season ticket member town hall um, that he was going to need surgery. And, and Steve Goff reported the details of it this evening, saying that it's a herniated disc and he'll be out for whatever timeline. Um, what did you make of Wara stepping in and, and getting the clean sheet in this one? Uh, I don't think he was tested too severely, um, but in that, you know, part of that is getting getting out and doing some things that, so you don't have to be tested. Um, participating in organiza- organization uh, along with Bobby Boswell um, that helped certainly. Um, it it looked like Wara that yeah, there's some there's some rough edges I would say with Wara. Um, there are a couple times where he made a decision that was a little a little off and then he found himself maybe a couple steps where he, for, away from where he needed to be. Um, but nothing really came of it. Um, when the ball was actually put on frame, he was, he was catching it, um, which is good. He wasn't bobbling anything. He wasn't punching things. He shouldn't have been punching. Um, he wasn't trying to catch things that he should have been punching. He was making those decisions really well. And that's the, the, the bottom line for goalkeepers. The rest of it is important, but, if your goalkeeper is making the saves and not coughing up rebounds that he shouldn't, then you're going to have a hard time mounting too strong of a case against him. Um, it is going to be interesting to see what happens the first time United gives up seven or eight shots on goal or, or is under pressure for a while, um, because it does look like he'll be in goal for at least the next couple games. You know, Charlie Horton is there, but uh he was out of contract for months and only just joined the team. So you have to imagine it's going to be a couple of weeks before he's uh, before United's really saying, well, maybe we should put him in consideration. I mean, he's going to be on the bench um, and the way this is going, you know, I, I feel like Wara should, uh, you know, be wrapped in some sort of uh, protective uh, coating <laughs> of some kind. Um, but, you know, I imagine it'll be at least the rest of the games this month that Wara starts before we start to see a competition. Um, and then after that, that that's also a positive because that'll push two young goalkeepers to really fight for an opportunity because we know that Dykstra's going to be out for a while. Uh, the, the roster is full. United can't go get another player without doing something. So that's a hindrance to them just going out and finding some free agent and bringing someone in. You know, they had Tally Hall, um, at the beginning of preseason and they couldn't use him because at the time he wasn't, you know, he's only just coming back from an ACL tear. So he wasn't really going to be fit enough to be leaned on as a starter, but you know, we're a few months later um, that might change things, but you can't just go sign him. And that's that you've got a, a roster issue that's keeping, that's preventing them from doing so. So um, I think Wara for, for his reputation, he's a young goalkeeper. He's a third string player. He, He's only got, what, 100 and I think it was 132 minutes of, um, yeah. or no, 122. It's 122 right. um, minutes a, at the MLS level. And he wasn't the full-time starter in Richmond last season either. They, um, It's uh, Ryan Turner and him went back and forth, right, Ben? Yes. because Well, I'll, yes. I'll, and a lot of that was because Wara, by the end of the season, had to be back up in D.C. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, and that's life in the USL is that, yeah, the team has to rotate guys for various reasons. They've got a lot going on as far as playing on Friday and Sunday and 
players that are on loan, so they have you, you're incur- you're, not, you're not required to play the guys that are loaned down from MLS, but it's encouraged. It doesn't help your relationship if you're just leaving those guys to rot on the the bench or in the stands. Um, but he he doesn't have the point of this is that he doesn't have a lot of um, pro level uh, background yet. But so far, for for all of that, he looks better than you would expect. Um, for an undrafted goalkeeper at that this stage in his career, um, it's it's encouraging, I think. And for Richmond Kickers fans listening, it's uh, Ryan Taylor. My mistake. Mm. No, it was my mistake. I said Turner, but I agreed with you. So you just agreed, yeah. But it's my fault. I didn't make a mistake yet. <laughs> Everyone, send your hate mail to Adam. <laughs> <laughs> Filibusterpodcast at gmail dot com for that. Um, at the underscore let- amt on Twitter. Thank you, Ben. You're welcome. Uh, <laughs> uh, moving a bit forward in in the formation, Ben, you mentioned Lucho Acosta, who who had some pretty sick moves at a couple of points during this game. Obviously, didn't create any goals. Uh, I think he ended up taking three shots in this one. How much can he also came off around the the hour mark for? Uh, I forget who even went in for him at that point. Um, but it's Alvario. another game. What's that? Alvaro Saborio, who did play about half an hour in this game. Uh, that's right. Not. Who? <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, Acosta again, did not play 90 minutes. Uh, again, didn't create a ton of end product out there. At what point should be, we, should we be worried about that? And how much is turf a mitigating factor? in this, this last week? Uh, I don't think turf needs to be a mitigating factor because I'm not anywhere close to being worried about it yet. Uh, unlike another player who got taken out a lot at the 55, 60 minute mark, so much so that we used to, and I still call it Branco time. Um, I, I, I think Ben Olsen's giving him about 60 minutes to just go all out and work himself into the team. And then if that's not working, he's got other options he can try on the bench. So he might as well try them if it's just, if it's not working out at that moment. And of course he's one of the most, if not probably the most talented player on the team uh, in transition in the middle uh, with the ball at his feet, but he's only been here a little while and he's still working uh, his relationships with his uh, teammates and his teammates are still trying to figure out how to work with someone who can do the things that Acosta can do. So it's still a work in progress. I don't, I don't really think it's a fitness issue. I think it's Olsen letting him just go all out and then giving himself some time to try something else. If uh, with Acosta not being fully integrated into the team yet. I think this week anyway, I think the turf did have something to do with it. I think that Acosta's yellow card had something well, to do with definitely it. Too. And I and I think the fact that New England were doing everything they could to kick the little guy uh at every opportunity had had a lot to do with what, it. Yeah. I, I, I sent you up with something. Dirty? It's a throwback. Um I mean every is everything it, old is new again. Is it really a throwback if it's never really changed? I'm just gonna let that hang out there. So I think I think protecting Acosta and, and protecting the team from a potential red card had as much to do with that substitution as sure. anything else. Um, and so I, I kind of set you up with a canard there. Uh, I, <laughs> um, staying in, in kind of the central midfield 
zone, we do have to talk about the ongoing experiment uh, uh, of our central midfield pairing of Nick DeLeon and, and Marcelo Sarvas. Jason, we looked at the stats for this, and Marcelo Sarvas had himself a game uh, statistically, and Nick DeLeon really didn't. Um, he he was all over the place in this, as he has been since he moved to the middle. He had a couple of pretty glaring bad passes in there, um, kind of in a one-minute span in the second half that, that jump out at people. Mm. But he he wasn't his usual tidy self in this one either. No, I think I, I can't remember the passing percentage I ended up seeing, but it was something below 70%, which is never good for central midfield. Um, he was really busy. Um, he did a lot of defensive work. Um, he was involved on that side of the ball, but it's got to be, um, it's got to be better with the ball at your feet. And I know it's on turf and the revs had more of the possession and all, all of that is a factor, but, um, when Sarvas can be, I, I, I think, um, Rick, uh, from our site tweeted this out that, um, Sarvas was not, he had the percentage, the passing percentage of well over 80%. And he was the only player that got above like 75% for the entire game. Um, that's not good for anyone, but that's also an indicator that your central midfielders need to step up and carry more of that responsibility in, in a game like that. You need to sort of, uh, sense that this isn't your day as far as the group, the group isn't passing well. So the central midfielders need to step up and take on a little more of that to actually string some possession together. Sarvas, I think, did that. Um, De Leon struggled on the ball. Um, and we also didn't see too much in the way of him breaking out into the attack. Um, I think it was much more of uh, Rolf occasionally, Acosta occasionally, Nagel occasionally. It was very sporadic, and it was they lacked that one extra player helping in, and that was uh, De Leon in L.A., and it just wasn't there this time. But you know, the defensive work, at least he's contributing on that side. He's not just letting the game completely pass him by, but um, he is, you know, it, it's still an ongoing experiment. And this was, you know, it, it progress isn't going to be linear with this. We saw, you know, his progress from the Corretero games to L.A. and it was much better against L.A. Um, this was not as good, but it wasn't a disaster. It just wasn't as good as, you know. The L.A. game was a nice benchmark, but it doesn't mean that he's always going to provide that every single week. Um, it might be months. It might not ever happen that he can provide that every week, but that's the goal. You know, that's what that's what a good daily own performance in central midfield is supposed to look like, is, is especially what he looked like in the first half of that game. That's what we need to look for. And this was a step down, but not like a jump off the cliff. Yeah, I think that's a great point that it won't be linear. There'll be, you know peaks and valleys there'll be big days and there'll be setbacks but i think as long as he's the trend is upward that's a good thing and if he's getting closer to being consistent that's that's what you're looking for over the maybe the first half of this year and then if he can keep that keep at a high level for the the rest of this year then we're looking good going into the the meat of the season late on uh you wrote about Jason, you wrote about uh, the the subs in this game, mm-hmm. Miguel Aguilar and, and Julian Buescher, who both had pretty promising moments and almost combined for a game winner right after Aguilar came on. Yeah, it was it was an interesting moment. Um, I left a comment. Um, one of our we had an article up today that I wrote that a comment kind of opened it up for me to to make this 
um, observation, sort of taking it from my game notes. Um, there was a moment after Aguilar came in where he was coming in and he was going to go out on the left. It was pretty obvious that that was the idea um, because Buescher was already in. Saborio was up front. Um, so he was coming in for Nagel to go to left midfield. But he came in and he didn't immediately go across the field to the left. He was going to sub, he was subbing in from the right, what would have been right midfield. He would have had to go all the way across. He came in and instead was briefly playing. He's basically standing near Saborio and Buescher jogged over to the left. And it was during that span of play where Aguilar faked, uh, uh, Jose Gonzalez to the ground. And very nearly set up. A, uh, I mean, I'm sure you know it's a nine times out of ten Buescher scores if that ball falls to him. You know, Javon Watson deserves a lot of credit for the block he made to prevent that from that pass from being connected. Um, but it it did give me an idea, not so much for Buescher. He doesn't really belong on the left wing, I don't think. Um, but for Aguilar, it's one more avenue for playing time um, with him playing as a forward rather than on the wing, because when you don't have Acosta in the game we don't really have anyone that has speed and dribbling ability down the middle. We don't challenge teams that way. Um, De Leon is the best thing we have for that right now. And he's doing that as we just talked about pretty sporadically at this point, he's still learning a lot of other central midfield stuff. So if Acosta isn't in the game, having that, that sort of wild card element in the middle, not just on the wing, but in the middle where it can hit you from more angles than, than a winger can. Um, it's an interesting tactical possibility for Aguilar. It might open up the chances of him playing a little more um, because he brings something to the table that the rest of United's forwards don't, don't bring to the table. Um, I also like the knock on effects of that because I know Ben Olsen has been, I think he, he's only put Julian Buescher in anywhere, but the 10 spot once for, as a substitute. Um, And I like Buescher better a little further from goal. I think he's a little yeah. bit more effective when he's got space to pick out a pass. And I think that late run, like we saw in this play that you're, that you're describing, that late run can be devastating and he can recognize it. And I think really quickly, especially for a young rookie like he is, he, mm-hmm. that recognition is there and he can get to the spot. So I like him a little further from goal for, for those reasons. And if we're putting Aguilar in as a second forward, uh, off the bench, then then that means Buescher can't take that spot, and he's right. it, when he comes in, it's going to be for De Leon or for Sarvas, which I like a lot more than him coming in at the ten spot. Yeah, and and it's more. First of all, it's it's probably at this point much more likely that it's De Leon that comes out um, rather than Sarvas, who I think at this point has. It's not a great situation for United, but he is right now indispensable. Like if he picks up a, a red card against Colorado, I don't really know what they're going to do in the game against FC Dallas. Um, please, uh, if you're listening, Marcelo, do not get a red card against Colorado. Um, but uh, please, also, you probably this just to- got really ominous, Jason. You just took us to a really dark place. He probably has better stuff to do than listen to us, if, if we're being honest. Um, <laughs> Thanks for listening, everyone. But <laughs> I think we can all admit that we're glad that players aren't listening to the show. Cut his mic. Um, Cut his mic. <laughs> but with, with with Buescher coming in as, as an eight, I think that's something that's it's going to come up um, at some point, especially in a home game. Um, if United is trailing, I think we, we could see him step in for De Leon, and, and it's a sign that United is going to go on the attack. I think... I'm inclined to agree, Adam, that, that Buescher belongs a little deeper as an 8 rather than as a 10. I don't know that Olsen's ready to try that in a tie game on the road. 
But if if we're talking about, you know, the 70th minute against Colorado at home, you, we might see that this week. We might see that that sub get tried because if you're sitting at 0-0 or 1-1 against the Rapids, you need to find a win in that situation. They're the Rapids. They're st- I mean, they've changed, but they haven't changed that much. Um, You've got to go for the win there. And whether or not Aguilar is in for Acosta, I, you know, that's just more of a, a thing that I would like to see repeated rather than just as a 90-second um, gamble and then you switch back to normal. Um, whether it, you know, it really doesn't matter who the personnel on the field is at the time. Um, that would be a good offensive substitution for United. I think it would open up the field and it would pin teams back. It would be a risk. Um, you are opening yourself up in central midfield. You're, you're losing a little bit of defensive work rate, a little bit of defensive uh, just good sense on where to be on the field. But if you're at home – the three points is worth the gamble over just settling for a draw. That's the whole reason soccer changed the rules to three points instead of two points for a win is to encourage teams to go for it. And um, in a game like this against the Rapids, you really ought to go for it if you're sitting. I mean, personally, I hope that the game is settled by, you know, the 70th minute and the Rapids are done and, and United just knocking it around. That would be great. But if it's zero, zero or one, one, or if, you know, if the Rapids are winning, um, I would encourage that sub, I would like to see Buescher get in as one of the two central midfielders rather than playing a, in the Acosta role. I'd like to see a situation where Acosta and Buescher are in the game at the same time because I think that would really be a challenge yes. for opposing defenses. It is risky, you know, for United's back four, but there are going to be times where you have to take a risk, and at home in a game that you should be winning, you should be looking to take some risks. And we'll talk more about that game right after this. Stick around. This is Filibuster black and red united podcast well it's a it's a new season here in dc for dc united and for us here at filibuster as we enter season number five of the podcast yay us happy birthday us uh we want to take time to record a new message from our sponsor the ehrlich law office they provide discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions for those of us living in Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. Sorry, Jason. You're out of luck. I, I guess I'm doomed. You, you are doomed. Um, <laughs> th- this message goes to people in Nova and D.C. Your rights matter. You deserve to be free from harassment, and you deserve to work. Um, Marylanders deserve none of that. I, I wouldn't go that far, Ben, but we'll, but we'll people, in Nova and people in Northern Virginia and D.C. that definitely applies to you. I can't speak to whether it applies in Maryland. Uh, if you have suffered from workplace discrimination or wage theft, uh, you're, you're dealing with some non-competition or non-solicitation litigation. Your civil rights have been violated uh, or there's been an illegal taking by the government or you have uh, disability issues or you have uh, a complaint in education law. Then the Ehrlich Law Office is who you should talk to. They're good friends of the show. Uh, I, I know the, the lawyers there personally. They are really good at their jobs and they're really good people. Uh, and you should check them out for a free consultation. Go to EhrlichLawOffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. It's time to talk about the PIDs. The Colorado Rapids are coming to RFK Stadium this Sunday at 5 p.m. That'll be on ESPN2. But 
it's the league home opener. Yeah, there's already been a Champions League game, but based on the attendance, you probably weren't there. And so you should go to this game instead, even if it will be cold and rainy slash possibly snowy. Heard, you should go anyway. Uh, heard, Put on your snow pants. I heard it's going to be 75 yeah. and sunny. Ben has... This is my weather advice to you. It's going to be 75 and sunny. Ben's weather advice is on par with his legal advice, I think. Um, the home opener is finally here, so, you know, damn the weather, full speed ahead, get out there. My question, Ben, and and I mentioned this earlier, and I'm sorry to go to you with basically the same question to start off both segments. Why the hell did ESPN pick this? Given the reputation of DC United last year and the Rapids last year, if you are ESPN, why are you picking this game? I... I don't fully understand it myself. And I'm a huge DC United fan and I, I will watch them no matter what. I don't know why ESPN picks this game, given the Rapids were the stingiest defense in MLS last year. I mean, at some point they probably have to pick a lemon just because the way the contracts work out and it's probably better for them in the beginning of the year. And I haven't analyzed the rest of the games this weekend, but it's probably some sort of scheduling thing and, uh, sometimes you take a gamble. Sometimes a, a game is looks like it's not going to be any fun, and it turns out to be a lot better than you expect. So, yeah, that's that's probably fair. There are some actual rivalry games here, though. There's a Cascadia game. There's L.A. San Jose. Um, Portland Salt Lake game looks like it'll be a lot of fun. So does Dallas Montreal. I you know I'm I'm excited that this will be on TV because hopefully DC United can hang four or five on Colorado out of nowhere. Well, and that would just be delightful. The, the last time the Rapids came to RFK, it was four, two. So maybe that's what they were looking at. Also, and Dylan Cerna scored that ridiculous midfield yes, goal. He had, he had a ridiculous shot from long range and like full you know, volley from right. close to midfield in the uh, sideline. Also, it, also yeah, it's it, the Rapids. Maybe ESPN was just like, who knows what Pablo Mastroeni will do. We that's literally a good point. have no idea. Yeah. He was the craziest manager in MLS until Patrick Vieira came along not, and brought back the W. In, not a crazy in a fun way, though. No, that's true. He could have some. He's he just, could have some fun facial hair. All right, I'm trying to think. If Patrick Vieira, if Patrick Vieira through two games is crazy like Willem Dafoe and Boondock Saints, what is Pablo Mastrani crazy like? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> He's crazy like. Yeah, I, I got nothing that's not depressing or offensive. Good radio. So, yeah, great radio. We're just going <laughs> to cancel that question and move along. Notwithstanding last week's nil-nil draw, uh, we've talked a lot about how this isn't the same DC United team as last year, thanks to some of the acquisitions and some of the stylistic uh, and tactical changes Ben Olsen has made, subtle as they may be. Jason... Is this the same Colorado team that allowed the fewest goals in MLS last year? Uh, kind of. Um, they've, I mean, some of the stuff they did last year that didn't make any sense is still in place. Um, they're still playing the same formation with the same level of caution. Um, they still play at the same tempo, which is pretty slow. Um, they talked before their game against the Galaxy. They um, had a sideline interview with Mestro, and he said he wanted to control the tempo and force LA to run for 90 minutes at the altitude. And 
the galaxy almost escaped a game that they clearly just did not want to be a part of. The, the galaxy wanted to turn up in, in Denver and just accept their draw and go home without ever taking the field. And they almost got away with it, but uh, mostly because they were able kids. to... There weren't meddling kids. Um, there were, however, uh, the Rapids' poor attempts at upping the tempo. It just didn't really work. Um, they've already done... Uh, this, some strange things like play a defensive midfielder as a center back, uh, twice now. Um, they switched. They had Marlon Harrison and Eric Miller as their fullbacks in their opener. They switched to, um, Mikhail Williams, who's new to the league and is also a left back, not a right back. He played right back and Mark Birch came in at left back. So that's some very rapids nonsense. Mark Birch. Just- Mark Birch. Just rotating players this early in the year with a week uh, rest. I I did see something in the game. They said that Harrison and Miller had some sort of injuries, but I feel like you don't end up playing a left back uh, on his MLS debut out of position uh, unless you're the Rapids. That's something they would do. Um, they still haven't really figured out what to do with their designated player whose name I'm going to butcher, butcher, which is um, Skelgen Geshi, even though it looks like it's spelled Gashi, the announcers seem to want to say Geshi. Huh. Um, I assume that they have spoken to him and that's what came out. I don't know. Um, they don't really seem to know what to do with him exactly. He was marketed as a goal scorer, but then it was like, well, actually, he's an attacking midfielder and now he's playing on the wing. Um, I think he did play on the wing a bit in, in Switzerland. He right. was he was kind of, a, you know, a, a Albanian higher level Rob Vincent. Right. Uh, and as far as Rob be, Vincent's here in USL, where he's just a utility right. attacker that scores goals. Right. And that might be what his job is there, but I think the Rapids are still not 100% sure um, how I mean, they want to do that. The Rapids still aren't 100% sure what anybody's job is on their team. Pretty much. They brought, well, to go to, Dil- all right, Dylan Powers was trying to leave this offseason. He was trying to go to Europe. He has a passport in Italy. Um, he went on trial with Reading, and while he was there, the coaches that brought him in on trial, they got fired. And the new guy was like, eh, everyone out. So his trial ended, and it wasn't really his fault, but he didn't get a contract. He came back, and they were they told him, like, oh, we want to use you in the role you belong in, which is as an eight, as a playmaker in in the central midfield, rather than pushed up high as a 10. Naturally, where he's played throughout the preseason and in the first two games has been as a 10, um, which is... Uh, just exactly what I suspected would happen. Um, they've been playing Michael Azira, who they picked up from Seattle, alongside Sam Cronin, which is a very defensive-minded central midfield. Um, and they've been trying to get those two to run run the tempo of their attack, and it just isn't working so far. Um, they lost one nothing in San Jose, which is the most San Jose, Colorado result possible. And then they won one nothing over the Galaxy. But like I said, the Galaxy would really rather have never played that game. Um, so in a lot of ways, I was like, there's some new faces, but this is the same old Rapids um, in terms of their plan, in terms of their intent, um, in terms of the strangeness of their lineup. Uh, Mastroni also put on more of a show on the sideline than he did with his team because at the, when they scored their goal, he tore his suit jacket off and threw it on the ground <laughs> in a celebration, um, which is sort of like him and his mustache last year. It was like, well, that's the most entertaining thing that happened in the whole game was him throwing his jacket on the ground. He's, he's like a um, bizarro. Well, in some ways, not bizarro. Uh, uh, Jose Mourinho, where he is the story. 
to take the pressure off his team or just because his team is nothing to talk about. Um, I, I did want to talk a little bit about that game against LA that they won one to nothing. Marco Papa scored the winner in extra time. Um, deep, deep into stoppage time. Yeah. Like 95th minute. Yeah. And if you were Bruce arena, you were convinced that there only should have been three minutes of stoppage time in that one. So, you know, for, for whatever reason they, they did win. Um, and Marco Papa is the reason for that reason to think Marco Papa could be a difference maker more than just, you know, deep into stoppage time and at random moments, could they actually figure out a way to play around him? Or is this going to be Pablo Mastorani just finding something that might work and running the other direction? No, I think that's the plan. I think they brought him in to be a starter and to be, to add an element to their attack that was missing. Um, But then during the off season, there was a strange incident that hasn't even been cleared up yet where in which he was stabbed. No one really knows what went on with that. Um, but he was stabbed, and so he missed most of the preseason trying to recover from that. Um, he actually, if I'm not mistaken, didn't play at all. No, he played the last 10 or so minutes against San Jose. And then in this game, he came in a little more um, – uh, I'm trying to find my notes – 67th minute. So he came in about 12 minutes earlier uh, in this game. So I don't think he's at starting fi- – I, I would be really surprised if he was given a start. He's probably only at 30 to 45 minutes fit. Um, at this point, which as a road team, you don't really want to roll the dice on having to sub a guy at halftime. Um, you'd rather bring that guy in off the bench. Um, but he's definitely going to be an element. He's going to make the Rapids attack better because he's so unpredictable. There are going to be times where they suffer because of it, because he doesn't really defend um, that well. He, he's not as lazy as people think defensively. He just doesn't take up good positions. He doesn't make good decisions defensively. Um, but you he's know, not lazy. He's just bad at defense. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that really is what it comes down to. Um, and the Rapids are going to have to learn how to cover for him. But if they're on the road and they're losing, you can be, sh- even if it's a draw, you can be sure he's going to come in and it's going to change things for them. And it's going to make them more dangerous going forward because he's a threat to shoot from long range. Um, the Rapids are one thing they did do and that was actually useful is they were switching their wingers a lot in this game. Um, Gashi or Geshi, uh, Dom Baji, they switched back and forth a bunch. Um, when Papa came in, he subbed in and then only a few minutes later moved out to the other side. And then after a few minutes, he came back, um, to the right again. Um, he scored the goal attacking from the left. So there's a lot of interchange between those, the, those two positions. And that, that's an element that I'm a little worried about that they switch around so much that it might make, uh, Papa especially a little unpredictable because even though he he's only got one good foot and even though he takes plays off, he still finds a way to always provide a threat, whether it's as a passer or a shooter. So I think we're going to see him. I think it's it's something to worry about. But at the same time, you can contain Papa if you just, you know, if you outwork Papa, if you're always tracking him, he doesn't really do much to fight himself loose. He's more of a guy that you need to give him a pocket of space before he can create something. So I do want to talk more about their, their newbie DP. Uh, Skeltsen Gushy is the pronunciation guide on the Rapids website. Uh, so I'm just going to go with Skeltsen Gushy. Um, uh, you said it, not me. Uh, he is, he came in as a goal scorer. He won the golden boot the last two years in the Swiss 
first division. So that's, that's a pretty good resume. But when he left the Swiss league this winter, they were halfway through their season and he had had very few appearances. He, for whatever reason, I don't know if it was a coaching change or what kind of had, had fallen off the radar despite winning uh, the golden boot the last two years. And he has six shots in, in two games and only two shots on goal, no goals over those first two games. Ben, do you think some of that's a product of, of being the Rapids or are, could he be a flop? I know it's very early to, to say that, but is there a chance that he came in and he's just, his resume is, is more than the player that he is at this point? I mean, it, it could be either. I mean, it, it, the Rapids, uh, like Jason was saying, they're a very defensive team, so uh, especially in the midfield. So connecting that to the attack is going to be a little bit difficult. Uh, but also, I mean, the Swiss League is fine, but it's not one of Europe's top leagues. So it's not a guarantee of future performance in MLS. So, and even people, even players with good uh, resumes, we've seen flop in MLS just because MLS is kind of a peculiar league and there's not a lot of other leagues, uh, especially in Europe, uh, that correlate well with it so that's not to say people can't perform well but it's just it's a much different league than uh a lot of people give it credit for so them being the rapids make me think it's gonna flop but just regardless but i don't know it it could work out (laughs) who knows right the it was interesting watching him play because it it seems like he's not sure what to do with his teammates, which is, you know, understandable. He's only been there for a little while. He didn't spend the whole preseason with the Rapids. Um, But it also seemed like he's very quick to settle for a shot from outside the box. Um, It seems like his choice metric goes to shot pretty quickly um, when it maybe should include take a pass or take one more touch or show some patience. I I think he shifts to shoot mode very quickly. Um, And that might be, good that you know that might make him hard to defend but it also might make him a guy that teams are like yeah just wait for him to shoot and you know let it go to your goalkeeper because he's probably not going to beat your goalkeeper from well outside the box um and i think his shots i think both of his shots on goal were against la and they were both from like 20 25 yards and brian Rowe dealt with both of them pretty easily um he shoots he, he did sh- hit it with power um and so as far as that goes it's not like he's bad at it um, but it's not really, it's not really a good strategy if you want to score a bunch of goals. <laughs> you only shoot from long range. It's, it turns out it's kind of uh, low percentage. In fact, that was what most of DC United's defense was based on the last couple of years: is letting teams shoot from distance. Right, like giving giving you know since it's March Madness starts tomorrow, giving teams the three rather than letting them come inside for the two. Well, well, not not giving them the three so much as giving them the thirty-five foot. Yeah, yeah, three pointer, giving them the dumb shot uh, that yeah. you're like, yeah, okay, great. Yeah, and you know, unless the other team has Steph Curry on it, that's well, a good it's plan. College basketball, you, yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, Steph, Steph Curry no, would obviously, obviously be better if he went back and played more college basketball. Now, he'd score like seventy was, points a game. He was pretty good when he was in college <laughs> yeah, too. He's yeah. not. He wasn't what we think of as Steph Curry now, but he and, was pretty and, good. And we know. <laughs> Whatever, Ben. William and Mary's never been to the tournament. What do you know about college basketball? My parents, my actually, parents are Indiana fans. 
I was going to say how many championships uh, I, I to Purdue won compared to Indiana. And how many of them were in your lifetime? One. I yeah, was just going to say, um, Ben, you've recounted on this show that there were four teams that had not made the tournament, and William and Mary being one of them. But if I'm not mistaken, Stony Brook was also in that group until this year. And so Stony the Brook ranks, is in the tournament. The ranks fall to three. No, um, Stony Brook has yeah. not been Division One A that entire time. So they're not they're okay. not one of the team. wait one A is only a football thing. Okay, Division One is is basketball. Yes, fine. So yeah, they aren't one of the four that have been around forever that haven't. Done Correct. It. It's William and Mary, Army, okay. Citadel, and Northwestern. Okay. But anyway, now that we've taken a significant college basketball uh, turn, they, it it happens. I think people really want us to hear us debate more Indiana college basketball as well. Yeah, I, I mean, hey, pants they were dumb. I I actually don't. I like the candy striper no, they're, pants they're for good. them. It, and I really don't have that much anos for Purdue. I liked Purdue when I was uh, in high school. <laughs> and Purdue's a fun team to watch. They they've got the inside outside game. They have a great front court. Anyway, Jason, <laughs> how do you beat the Again, rabbits? Jason, right now? please save us. Uh, God help us all. I think the main th- for United specifically. I think they need to press. Um, Jared Watts is, I mentioned a defensive midfielder playing center back. That was him. Um, I think he's a little uh, too pleased with himself on the ball. I don't think he has the ability that he believes that he has, sort of a Dejan Yakovic situation. <laughs> um, um, Axel Hoiberg, and yes, his name is spelled S-J-O-B-E-R-G, but somehow in Swedish that comes out as Hoiberg, according to the Rapids. Um He's not very good on the ball. Um, if they make a switch there, they bring in Bobby Burling. Bobby Burling isn't good on the ball either. Um, Michael Azira is there is the guy checking back to bring the ball off of the defense. He's not particularly good on the ball. Um, Sam Cronin playing uh, a little higher up. That's not really where he belongs. He should be where Azira is. Um, this is part of the confusion of watching the Rapids is seeing players in spots where it just doesn't make any sense. Um, Birch. Yeah, Mark Birch is out there, and we all know Mark what Birch he's going to do. He wants, the ball, he wants the ball to go to his left foot so he can play it over distance, but that takes him forever to set up. You press it, and it makes it hard for him to do that. Um, or you run at him with the ball, and yeah. Freddie Montero demonstrated he will just trip over himself. Um, Mikhail Williams is, I think, a 21-year-old coming from the Trinidadian League playing out of position on top of that. Um, so you want to press them. You want to press up high. Um, punish the fact that they're bad at playing at any kind of high tempo, regardless of what they talk about wanting to do. They're still not good at it. Um, so you really have to push push them as hard as you can and test that group because Zach McMath, despite the bad luck of being on two, two separate teams that have tried to chase him out the door, for, despite his just showing up and being a good professional, um, he's not going to win the game on his own, most likely. He hasn't really pulled that off since coming becoming a professional um so if you press them you're going to get chances it's worth the risk i think against them to take a higher line there's not dominic baji has a lot of speed but other than that there's not a lot of uh pace in their whole attack kevin doyle is not gonna um win a foot race with steve burnbaum so you don't have to worry about getting beat in behind so really i think playing a higher line being a little more aggressive and really implementing more of the press we saw um, in the first half in L.A. specifically, but also at, at times against Corretero. Um, I think that is the, the way to get this job done because 
I look at the Rapids and I still see a team that's kind of they're vulnerable if you make them play at the tempo that they're uncomfortable with. If you get them out of their sluggish way of playing, you're going to get them into a game that they don't want to play. If the game is slow and um, kind of a kind of a scrap, then they're going to be comfortable with that uh, because they're not particularly dangerous going forward. They're not good at um, moving the ball quickly from defense to midfield to attack. Um, so forcing them to play a little more in transition is going to be, I think, I think that's the best way to get it done is to just make it a higher tempo game might be a little difficult with the weather uh, that they're talking about, especially with the, the possibility of it raining all day. Um, but that also might make it so that no one can control the ball, which means it turns into sort of a pinball match, which doesn't contribute that the high tempo that I'm talking about, but it does contribute a kind of high tempo and it might throw the rapids off as well. So um, the main thing, though, is to really don't don't just wait for this game. Go out and attack. Go out and press the Rapids and force them to overcome some pressure because I don't think they're up to that job. This year's United team has been more likely and more willing to press, so hopefully that does come about. Ben, anything before we sign off for the night? You can't wait for it, wait for it, wait. What you're saying is DC United should not throw away their shot. Exactly. Thank you all for listening. Find us at blackandredunited.com. Find us on Twitter, blackandredu for the website, at uh, filibusterdcu for the podcast. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. We are on iTunes. We are on Stitcher. Find us on SoundCloud. Mostly, though, when you're tailgating in the rain and the snow and the muck and the cold on Sunday, tell a friend about the show. It hopefully will cheer you and them up. Um, we will talk to you real soon. Until then, for Jason and Ben, I'm Adam. Say goodbye, Jason. Goodbye, Jason. Bounce, 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 bounce.